Hello and welcome to the Pharma Letter Podcast. The outcome of the recent midterm elections in the US surprised many by returning a Democrat-led Senate, preventing Republicans from gaining control of the next Congress. Analysts, having expected a stronger showing for Republicans, put some of the blame on former President Donald Trump, whose endorsements and active involvement in campaigning were said to frighten off moderates. In this week's episode of the Pharma Letter Podcast, I'm joined by Stephanie Kennan, Senior VP for Federal Public Affairs at Maguire Woods Consulting, for a discussion on the possible implications. We'll consider the likely course of future life sciences legislation, in particular the additional provisions which were omitted from the paired-back so-called skinny user fee reauthorization in September. We'll also take a quick look ahead to 2024, as Florida's Ron DeSantis basks in the triumph of his gubernatorial campaign, a run at the presidency now looks inevitable, and bookmakers are putting him above Mr. Trump as favourite to win power, albeit with a long way to go until polling day. We'll discuss what a DeSantis White House might look like for the life sciences industry. Perhaps just to start with then, we could take a brief look at the outcome of the midterms and perhaps you could give your view on what happened and, and why it happened. Sure. Um, I think that the outcome in, it depended a lot of where you lived. Um, if you look at the map of the United States, the coasts are Democratic and in the middle is a lot of Republican territory um, and remains that way. I think some of the answer has to do with abortion politics. Um, that got a lot of voters out, but an astounding number of younger voters came out. And, and in the United States, younger voters in the past have not voted in great numbers, but this time they did. And some of it had to do with candidates, the, the quality. I'll give you an example. Um, Oregon, which is a very um, considered a liberal state, um, there was a district held by a conservative Democrat because that district was relatively conservative. And he retired. The Democratic Party chose someone who was much like the rest of the state, very liberal, um, and a Republican won that seat uh, because the Republican better reflected that um, uh, that district's particular views. Um, I can give you an, an opposite example um, in Maryland, which is also considered a liberal state. They have a Republican governor for two terms. He was term limited. Uh, he was not a conservative far-right um, governor. He pretty much just ran the state. Maryland doesn't have a history of a lot of Republican governors. Um, but he rejected the party's nominee, nominee for, to replace him um, and actually did advertisements for um, others. <laughs> and um, a Democrat won the state. So I think it really depends. A part of it was candidate quality. Some far right conservatives were um, rejected um, if they really didn't reflect that district or that state. Right. And just looking at the impact then on pharmaceuticals and the biotech industry, could you um, provide any pointers on on what the, the possible impact might be in terms of the legislative outlook for the next couple of years? Sure. The 
it's important to understand that you're going to have the House controlled by Republicans and the Senate is going to be controlled by Democrats, even though we're still waiting for the Georgia results for their runoff. And when you have a split control like that, it means it's very hard to get legislation that is big legislation, big, bold ideas passed because they don't agree. Um, but it also means a change in leadership um, at the committee levels in the House. You're going from, for example, the Ways and Means Committee, which has jurisdiction over um, parts of Medicare and taxes. Um, you're going from Richard Neal from Massachusetts, who's not really a healthcare guy, but he's had to be a healthcare guy because of all the biosciences in Massachusetts. Um, he will be coming the lead Democrat, the ranking member, and a brand new person named Vern Buchanan is likely to become the chairman um, because the current senior Republican who would be chairman is retiring. Vern Buchanan is from Florida. Um, he hasn't led a lot of healthcare legislation. So he's sort of unknown as to what he will want to do. We know that he cares a great deal about healthcare in Sarasota, which is where he comes from in Florida. Um, and he's really been promoting some, you know, better access to cancer services and other things in Florida. Um, but it's really unknown what he will, what he will do as a leader, as opposed to someone who's been following kind of the basic Republican principles of healthcare legislation. Um, at the Energy and Commerce Committee in the House. Um, you also have a switch. Um, Frank Pallone of New Jersey, a state with lots of drug companies, is no longer going to be chairman. He will be the ranking member, the lead Democrat. And Kathy McMorris Rogers from Washington State will become the chairwoman of Energy and Commerce. Um, she has already said that what she is interested in is investigating the COVID-19's origins, the administration's COVID-19 response and HHS's implementation of Medicare drug price negotiations. She wants to focus on federal health care agencies and programs where the authorizations have um, expired. And she wants to address the fentanyl crisis. So in the Senate, even though there's not, there's not a change in leadership over there, there is going to be a change in, in the Health Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee, which oversees FDA. Um, because the current chairwoman, Patty Murray, is going likely to be the lead of the Appropriations Committee. Bernie Sanders uh, from Vermont, an independent who caucuses with the Democrats, will be the chair uh, chairman. And the lead Republican is likely going to be um, Senator Bill Cassidy from Louisiana, who happens to be a physician. And he has a long record of trying to work in a bipartisan way. Um, and Bernie Sanders, of course, has always railed against for-profit medicine and is about trying to get a single-payer healthcare system. So it'll be interesting to see the two of them work together um, because of Cassidy's personality and his track record and working in a bipartisan way on some very specific issues. It, it you know, he's they'll probably move some legislation through that committee despite some very strong differences. Right. Interesting. Um, you mentioned that the Democrats have retained the Senate. Um, I just wonder if you could say anything about the possible impact on insulin access and pricing. I know that the House has passed the Affordable Insulin Now Act. Um, right. There's also the Insulin Act, which is up for consideration in the Senate. Could you um, foresee any action or any legislation on insulin in particular? Well, before... As part of the Inflation Reduction Act, they were trying to include provisions from those bills um, 
particularly trying to cap um, insulin at $35 a month for everyone, whether you are on Medicare or on private insurance, because of the rules of the Senate and the way they were bringing that legislation to the floor, they had to drop the $35 cap for private insurance and just kept it in for Medicare. It would be very hard um, to bring whether it's this Congress or the rest of this Congress or the next Congress, it would be hard to bring a bill that caps insulin at $35 or any amount um, for the private insured market um, as a standalone bill. Um, And I think people are going to have to continue to figure out how they might move provisions of those bills as part of other bills. Right. Um, but the Inflation Reduction Act was moving through budget reconciliation rules and budget reconciliation rules in the Senate require that there be a direct impact on federal spending, whether it goes up or down. Um, it has to be a direct impact. And the argument that lowering um, the cost of insulin for everyone would assist assist the federal coffers in some way um didn't fly so right. okay. that they have to bring it up through something else other than budget reconciliation so it's, it's going to be hard right just looking at um the user fee act there's a lot of discussion around uh, reauthorization mm-hmm. um in the end they passed this uh, skinny user fee act which was um focusing just on the on the user fees but not including many provisions that had been discussed, um, for example, accelerated approval reforms, generic drug labeling, development of rare disease endpoints, agency inspection activities, these sorts of things. Will the next Congress revisit these provisions? Is there likely to be any progress on that? Well, this Congress is is still revisiting those provisions. Um, in fact, just before the elections, before they recessed for the elections, the Senate passed one provision as a standalone provision that had to do with animal testing that was actually included in the larger package of user fee um, legislation. They're looking at the provisions that have that made the proverbial cutting room floor and trying to figure out what they could attach on a year-end bill. And I don't think they've made any very specific um, decisions yet, but that's still, that, con- that conversation is still going on. So we may see more action in this Congress I think in the next Congress, um, they would definitely want to continue to try to move those pieces. Okay. But whether they move as a package or get attached to different things as things move on, that's still to be seen. Right. Part of this has to do with knowing what the agendas are going to be of Senator Sanders um, and Senator Cassidy at the HELP Committee, because that's where that will generate from. And, um, and, and part of it will be whatever's not passed, what pressure there is to get it passed okay but they haven't as i said this congress has isn't done yet with with that particular piece yeah looking forward then to the the presidential election that's obviously the next big event uh on the on the calendar um how does the the outcome for the midterms affect the the possibility of the republicans winning in 2024 would you say that that makes it um more likely or less likely well, 2024 is light years off, um, given where we are right now. Let me sort of take a step back and talk a little bit about how the presidential affects Congress and then talk about the presidential race itself. 
Um, because 2024 will be a presidential year, that means 2023 will be the year Congress can probably do most of its work. And 2024 will start to be sparring between the two parties and only those bills that must get done will get done, like appropriations, for example. Um, so that means everything will be very condensed in this particular, it'll be a two-year two year term, but the real action will be in the first year. Um, what that means for Republicans and, and Democrats in terms of who um, wins, I think a lot has to do with on who, who delivers and really governs. Um, there's already concern about um, the, the Republican le House leadership. Um, Kevin McCarthy has to make a lot of deals in order to, to be speaker. He has about six or seven members who are against him. Um, he has not received the Trump endorsement yet, um, which seems to be rather vital for some people to support him. So Trump is still kind of a force. It's a question of whether Trump is going to remain a force. Um, he has a number of investigations against him. Um, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, clearly um, is becoming a much, much bigger player um, and could be quite attractive to a lot of people. And in the, on the Democratic side, there are a lot of people who are supportive of Biden, a lot of people who are concerned about Biden's age. He just turned 80 um, and wondering if he's really the right person for 2024. Um, but neither side seems to have a deep bench. They may have a lot of people who want to run for president, but neither side seems to have a really deep bench of people who right now look like they're the guy um, or to, to, to be the the leaders next year. I think we're going to have a close presidential race um, based on the midterms, which were very close. Um, and we've had several presidential races recently where the popular vote did not match the electoral college vote. Um, if the popular vote had been the guiding force, Hillary Clinton would have been president and not Donald Trump, but he bet he won't beat her in the electoral college. And that's what counts. Um, so right. I think it's going to be very close. I think that in the Senate, it may be it may remain fifty fifty, and it, and the deciding vote would be whoever's in the White House. The vice president gets to be the tiebreaker. It's a long winded way of saying the the crystal ball is very cloudy. There's a lot lot that has to happen, and I think in part what has to happen is the Republicans really have to shake out their leadership to decide who's really the leader of their party. Right. Um, you mentioned Ron DeSantis. There's been a lot of interest in his um, potential candidacy. I've seen some um, data suggesting that he's the the favourite, although, as you mentioned, it's very far away still until the election. But um, do we know much about his policies or his approach? You know, What would a Ron DeSantis White House look like in terms of the impact on biotech or pharmaceuticals, drug pricing, that sort of thing? Well, as governor, he has worked on, um, but he, well, he's focused on the PBMs, the pharmacy benefit managers. Um, there's very little a governor can do about um, drug prices and regulation, although Florida does have pending with the FDA um, a drug importation proposal. It's been pending at the FDA for over 600 days. Um and that's considered a rather interesting proposal that other states would like to model, but they're waiting to see if the FDA will approve it. Um, 
he has fostered research. The Florida system for education and their universities there is a little different than what I've run into in other states where you can, in the budget, sort of plant money for research um, on specific items. For example, I know um, a couple of years ago there was a specific money set aside for research and Alzheimer's disease. Um, so that, you know, he's obviously wanting to invest in some of these, um, I guess, challenging issues, um, whether it's, it's particularly, you know, a, a drug treatment or not is something else, but to, to find out more about these diseases and to really promote more treatments. Um, Flor Florida also has a, um, pretty big effort on cancer. Um, again, given the population and the fact that the Moffitt Cancer Center is there, they've, there's a lot of focus on cancer issues and how to treat them and how to make more innovative treatments for them. Um, so, he, you know, Florida is not thought of as a health health leader, but Florida has done a lot in healthcare, and Ron DeSantis has, has focused a lot on trying to lower drug prices, either through importation or by focusing on the pharmacy benefit managers. But that is the scope of what he can do as a governor. Right. Um, we don't know what he would do yet when it comes to regulating drugs and accelerated pathways and those kinds of things, um, because right. that's just simply not been in his bailiwick to, to, to work on yet. Great. Well, it's... Uh, fascinating to watch and uh, we'll look very closely the next two years to see what happens uh, I think that's about all we have time for today Stephanie Kennan from McGuire Woods Consulting thanks very much for being with us today thank you